On this episode, I ruin Jason's life with Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. Case closed. Oh no, I should say that at the end of the podcast. Damn it. Damn it. No, start it over. Okay. Start it over. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And today, Kelsey is ruining my life with Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, a thing you just heard her say 30 seconds ago. Yep. But in case you forgot during the break, I thought I'd bring us all back up to speed. Maybe you had to pause, take off your headphones for a second, listen to the train conductor's announcement. Right. Maybe your Bluetooth was syncing with whatever speakers you were using and it sort of skipped over that first intro part. just cut right out. Yeah. But now you know. Now you know. And so we'll restate our podcast's premise every five minutes. (laughs) Just, Just in case. In case people are like, you know, turning that radio dial from podcast to podcast. Some people do. Kelsey... What is Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries? So, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is an Australian drama series about Miss Phryne Fisher, the Honorable Miss Phryne Fisher. That's her official title. She is a flapper, woman about town, and private detective in 1920s Melbourne, Australia. It was created by Deb Cox and Fiona Eager and based on the mystery novels by Carrie Greenwood. And it stars Essie Davis, Miriam Margulies, and Nathan Page. And it ran from 2012 to 2015. Mm-hmm. There correct? are three seasons, and eventually there will be more. Ooh, we'll get to that later. We'll, get to that we'll later. save that for the end of the podcast. We'll taste. We'll taste of what's to come. So this is a mystery procedural show. Correct. Uh, it's a period piece, but it's it's yeah. it's these the story engine, the thing that drives the show along, is the independently wealthy Miss Fisher. Uh, has opened up her own detective agency and is solving crimes all around 1920s Melbourne. Yep. A procedural mystery show is not a thing I have a lot of experience with. I'm aware of them. I've always sort of eh, never paid too much attention to them. But I've recently come to appreciate how much fun a good mystery can be. Mm-hmm. So I was I was excited to do this. So for my education, you assigned me four episodes. I sent you four episodes of the roughly... 35 there's not that many yeah it's somewhere between like 32 and 35 i think 34 34 hey we nailed it (laughs) uh you assigned me four episodes Mm -hmm. two from the first season one is the pilot cocaine blues Mm -hmm. the second is the 11th episode blood and circuses one episode from season two uh 209 framed for murder episode 307 game set and murder Mm -hmm. and i just thought I, i thought i'd start to sort of ease us into the discussion by just broaching the question of mysteries. Why do people like them? Why do people like them? What's up with that? There's so many shows that are about someone solving a crime every week. Yeah. And they vary from the very generic, like the Law & Order franchise, mm-hmm. to the deeply specific. Like, well, I guess this is the best example of that. Yeah. Some are good. Some are very bad. But they're a popular genre. Was that fair to say? Yeah. 
And I think for me, there's definitely something more um, intriguing about this kind of mystery procedural or, you know, murder murder procedural because it is a period piece. Like, I tend to enjoy that more than, like, a a law and order situation where it does sort of get very repetitive. And I think when you add a period to it, there's another layer of, you know, genre that you're exploring, as well as, like, in a lot of times in this particular sort of period mystery thing, the ability to, you know, be a little more, uh, not campy necessarily, but like... Fun? Fun, yeah. Like you don't, because it's not like ripped from the headlines, you don't have to be so self-serious about it. And when you have a character like Miss Fisher leading the ensemble, it, it really is it's a good time. There's a lot of murder, but it's a good time. <laughs> And I, I'm not, I don't mean to, you know, disparage shows like Law and Order yeah. because, I mean, those shows are, they have that down to a science. Yeah. If you, if you, if you catch the first two minutes of an episode of You're Law and Order. You're going to watch the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, if you see it like out of the corner of your eye, yeah. it's like the movie Shock a lot. If even like a touch of that delicious crime flavor lands in your tongue, you are hooked for life. Yeah. Uh, but And it sucks because, you know, if you catch, you know, the beginning of an episode of Law and Order and it's a day long marathon, you're not going anywhere. There goes the day. There goes the day. <laughs> um, so, they're, they're, you know, I, they're, they're, there's craft and there's things to like about that show. Uh, but one thing I, I often fail to grasp is why people come to these shows that don't have a serialized storyline. That's a thing I just sort of am always trying to figure out because I, I, you know, I'm more usually drawn to things with long-running storylines or at least solid arcs that mm-hmm. play out over the course of episodes yeah and i think one of the big things i've i've sort of tried to figure this out uh pretty obviously this is like i know basically like fiction 101 but i'm just bear with me i'm, I'm very slow plotting is a big part of a good mystery because you want a mystery that is um, ideally one that plays fair if it and this is where the law and order example sort of becomes not so useful because that's not really a mystery per se. Yeah. But when when it, when you when a show or any sort of fiction is about a character solving a crime, you want the 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 work to provide you with enough clues that you could. You want to feel like you could have solved the crime yes. as well. Maybe not you as you are in real life, right? Because if you're like me, you're so stupid. <laughs> but if you were in the world, you could have by what you saw in the show, you could have pieced it all together. But you don't want it to be so obvious that as soon as the killer walks on the screen, you go, that's them, them, it's the killer. Or if you do do that, you have no idea why. (laughs) (laughs) Something about them. I don't trust them. And Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries walks that line very well. It It has the cook of every episode starts with a murder. So pretty good way to propel a plot forward. People want to know who did who did who does murders who did the murder and they want to see people go to jail for murders obviously obviously but it also has that great it's got really sharp storytelling like as things are revealed we learn more about the characters and that drives the plot forward you know the plot continues continues to develop beyond the first initial incident as we learn more about the characters their motivations become more clear until we finally understand not just who did it but why it's it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to it sounds I'm probably oversimplifying it, but it's a it's a when it's done very well, it's it's an impressive and difficult thing to pull off. I think Miss Fisher does a really good job of merging A and B storylines to like wrap up the crime because like um in uh, Blood and Circuses, which is the second episode that I had you watch, I think this is most evident because you are with Phryne, who's infiltrating the circus 
as part of her investigation. But you're also with Hugh Collins, the constable, and the other detective who's not Jack, um, <laughs> who's a bad influence and like trying to, um, and they're dealing with this sort of layabout woman who's talking, said her son has escaped from jail and is visiting her. And you think she's crazy the whole time, but it turns out her son did escape from jail and he's at the circus. <laughs> um, so it's like a whole thing. Sorry, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> um, but that does tie in and eventually it's like crucial to the resolution of the, yeah. of the main and like story every, line. Everything she said that he did is crucial to resolving the murder at the beginning. Which is also, that episode's especially a, a good one to point out because it also ends up tying into the season-long story arc. Yes, yeah. About, Which is why I gave you it. Yes. <laughs> very smart. But I'm very, you know, and, and I haven't, you know, I've not gone back and watched the rest of season one. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm still impressed through this isolated example how I'm able to see the, the many story threads they weave into this one episode. Mm -hmm. that is still very self-contained. Yeah. My best example for why I like the plotting so much is the episode game set and murder, which obviously is a, is a tennis thing because I sort of, you know, there, there's enough hints early on that I, I kind of was able to guess. I had to guess who the, who the murderer was, but I had no idea what the possible reasoning for it was. I was just sitting there for the last half hour going, it must be, but how could it, but why, but why? That's what I was talking about when I was like, you know who it is, but you have no idea why. <laughs> and then when it finally all falls into place, it's so obvious yeah. and makes so much sense for that character. Yeah. And it fits with everything, everything you've seen you've so far. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, and again, that that's a tricky thing to do. And they, they pull it off so well. And I think another reason people watch uh, mystery programs is because they like the characters. Because even if the story is completely different every episode and miss fisher does have recurring plot lines mm -hmm. even if they don't have that a show that has the same characters every episode when you develop a fondness for those characters mm -hmm. that is sort of what can pull you back in yeah every 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 week well, or however you, often this you, show like, is released you know when you look at it like a, a traditional sitcom is that it's just a show with good characters and like but instead of mysteries, there's jokes. There's, you know, wacky hijinks. Oh. Like, it's just like you could watch a lot of, like, you could watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine out of order and still think that it's funny and that it works as, a, as an episode. It's just like the characters are the basis of the plot, like, of what's at attaching you to it, you know? That actually is very helpful for me, and I never, I never considered that before because I have watched sitcoms long past the point when they were, uh, you know, creatively exciting. How much your mother? Because of the characters. Yeah. And because I just wanted to see, I want to spend more time with these characters. And I want to see what happened with them. And, but because my, you know, my interest is more, you know, naturally set towards comedy and comedic situations. I understand that better than I understand people who want to see, you know, who like mysteries, but really just want to spend more time with the characters. Yeah. And I think like with, with How I Met Your Mother, especially like I think the best episodes in late How I Met Your Mother are ones that are separate from the greater storyline. The ones that are like sort of one-off things, you know? I mean, they're always not totally separate from the greater storyline, but like um, Subway Wars is like my favorite episode of How I Met Your Mother. And like you can watch that with no context. It's a great episode of TV. Um, and I think with a good sitcom, it is the characters. And I think it's the same way with a good procedural show. You know, people don't go back 
to Law and Order SVU because they, you know, want to watch another rape mystery. They go back because they want to see, you know, how they're going to handle it this time. How are, you know, what's Marisca Hargitay and, and Ice-T going to handle it this time? What's How is it going to affect them? What's Chris Maloney up to? He's not on it anymore. What's Vincent D'Onofrio up to? Also well, not on it well, anymore. Well, no one's on it anymore, right? That show's over. SVU's around. CI's, oh my God, really? CI is not on anymore. SVU is still running? Yeah. Are you kidding I me? I think so. Yes. IMDb, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, TV series 1999 to... Question mark? <laughs> to blank. Like any great party on the invitation, there's no sign of when it might end. Yep. I would say, especially How Much Your Mother is a good example and is actually a good case against serialization because that's a show where they had an overarching plot line that went way off the rails at the end and, and, and dragged the whole enterprise down with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also think Brooklyn Nine-Nine does a really good job of having like isolated plots in every episode and having just enough to serialize the season, like having just enough in each in each episode or eat, o- over the season to like their there be an overall plot yeah and it has lovable characters like jake peralta amy santiago rosa diaz gina gina <laughs> gina linetti anyway and the re- watch brooklyn 99 watch all, brooklyn 99 it's a really good show this, this is a stealth promo for brooklyn 99 well fox isn't gonna do it so someone has to oh shit oh shit, oh, shit. as long as we're talking about likable characters <laughs> kelsey do you recall the most likable character of all. Is it the Honorable Miss Franny Fisher? It's the Honorable Miss Franny Fisher. <laughs> she's very likable. And she shouldn't be, you know? Like, she's titled. She's got money from nothing, basically. Like Chicks for free. <laughs> she, uh, Her dad's distant cousins all died in World War I. So he inherited a peerage in England. That's how she got the title, the Honorable, and also a bunch of money. So it's like, check your privilege. Miss Fisher. Yeah, but she does. You know what she does? Exactly. She does does check her privilege. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we like her. And she, you know, is using her ample funds to better the community. And she is, um, we'll get to the other characters in a second, I guess, but I don't don't want to understand what a great character Miss Fisher is and how unique she is. And she's unique um, because if you, (laughs) basically, if you you swapped her gender to, to male, uh, she would be completely ununique. Yeah. She would be the most boring, like, tropey, like, obnoxious character in the yeah, world. Yeah, she's like this private detective who is, you know, beautiful and dangerous and has a lot of sex and carries a gun and, like... And is rich. And is rich. And never settles down. Yeah. But, but because she's a woman, she's interesting. Yeah. And Which says a lot of weird things, but... <laughs> well, it's... I think a lot of it is just because, like, and this, this continues to, like, blow my mind, but I, I keep... You know, I keep coming back to it. We just we've never really seen that before, or if, I mean, not to not to my you know immediate recollection, or at least it's not nearly as prevalent for women as it is for men. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm I actually want to say we probably there's never been a character on TV like Miss Fisher. I don't think so. No. Carrie Greenwood, author of the Miss Fisher novels, had this to say about the character, which I think is very notable. Bryony is a hero just like James Bond, but with fewer product endorsements and a better class of lovers. Snap. Snap. (laughs) I decided to try a female hero and made her as free as a male hero to see what she would do. Mind you, at the time, I only thought there would be two books. So, you know, (laughs) it's very consciously a a gender-switched version of that James Bond archetype. But it's, um, it's, it's so... You could probably speak to this more than I can. 
but it's it's powerful in a way to see that play out yeah and also it's a, it's a show where miss fisher has a lot of female associates and it's a lot of female relationships are a big part of the show this show passes the bechdel test so hard oh, man. <laughs> they're gonna have to invent a new test because the they, they, they broke the meter they broke the meter no i it is it is very empowering and i think you know Franny is amazing because she you know she has all these characteristics that we associate with male heroes but also there's no talking about her as like you know in the way like oh i'm a tomboy oh i had eight brothers or you know that sort of terrible trip like she's still very much you know a, a, a woman and she just has done what women have been trying to do for ages which is just like get equality there's <laughs> no excuses that be made for or like for why she's like for the why way she she's is. the hero yeah. basically also thank you for identifying a trope i didn't know i hated it until just now what the, the i had seven I had brothers six brothers yeah and my dad always wanted a, a boy so that's why i'm tough and Ugh. aggressive Ugh. maybe i'm just fucking tough <laughs> yeah first of all uh, Essie Davis is fantastic. Essie Davis is amazing. Uh, a new new favorite of the show, it seems. New favorite she of the was, show, Essie Davis. She turned up in the Matrix sequels. Yep. Um, turns out was wasted in the Matrix sequels. Really? Uh, well, I mean... Oh, wasted. Sorry. Like... <laughs> no, <not laughs> she was... Wasted like her talent she was, was wasted. She was drunk every... What would, how would you say it? She was bloody sorted every day <laughs> on set. Sauced. Sauced. Um, no, I'm just saying, like, when you look at her in this, and, yeah, she... and also the Babadook, which... Her talent was wasted. Uh, it's probably, at this point, going to be... A future episode. The Essie Davis trilogy. The complete art loose Essie Davis trilogy. <laughs> She's great. She's so charming. She has great chemistry with everyone, especially uh, Detective Inspector Jack, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. portrayed by Nathan Page, mm-hmm. which I think uh, Mallory Ortberg of The Toast said it best in her article about about watching uh, Miss Fisher while she was convalescing from, an, from a, some sort of uh, ailment. Where she said, apparently yelled at the screen at one point, stop making me care so much about heterosexuality, Jack. (laughs) Which is very much how I felt watching this. Mm -hmm. I don't usually get swept up in heterosexual romances on TV shows. And I've only seen four episodes of this show, mind you. (laughs) But I saw a picture of Essie Davis and Nathan Page together today, and I almost swooned. (laughs) The last heterosexual romance i was this invested in on a tv show was um on american crime story between sterling k brown and sarah paulson's character i have no idea i haven't watched it it's 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 amazing well this not just because of what, how great their chemistry is but because yeah. they're two real people who existed in the real world <laughs> i shipped it so hard shipped it so hard i ship i'm a serial shipper i love shipping it's my favorite. You can't be stopped. I can't be stopped. The police are. are you won't stop me from tail, shipping. But they can't. They can't catch you. You're always heterosexual or otherwise. Usually otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you are pro Friny Jack. Right? Oh yes. Okay. If there's people who aren't pro Friny Jack, I don't know them. <laughs> ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And oh, that's also another great uh, gender inversion because Jack is the straight man. Yeah. He she Friny is the, is the you know the fun. You know, adventurous one who gets into you know all sorts of scrapes and yeah. and then and, and intense situations, mm-hmm. and and Jack's the like you know the the scully over the, lo- the corner, the long like, suffering not, wife. I don't know about this. He's, yeah, he's the, the long wife. suffering wife. He's the wife. <laughs> <laughs> they're not married or anything. They're not but... <laughs> married. And they're not even. Um, it's uh, just a good trope. They're not even actually together in the show, yeah. which is it, which is um, uh. which is important <laughs> because Franny has a lot of sex. Friday has a lot this of sex. This is something I keep trying to come back to, which is that Essie Davis is a great actress in her own right, but 
uh, also, I'm just astounded that she is a 45-year-old woman. And the character, I think, is probably about that age, too. I, I They definitely aged her up for the, the show. In the book, she was younger. In the book, she starts in Cocaine Blues as 29. Hmm. And I don't know if they were just like, we want Essie Davis for this or let's age her up because that's more empowering. Because I do have to put out here that the novelist is a woman and both of the showrunners are women and a lot of the writers are women. It turns out when you put that many women together, you might get a show that addresses that women the fact like. That, yeah, well, the A that women like and B that addresses the fact that women, uh, even in their 40s, do enjoy having sex. <laughs> Who knew? And, and maybe don't want to get married. Yeah, I I love I love that they aged her up for the show, and not only because Essie Davis is amazing, but it makes her her choice to to not settle down so much more like empowering, and and the marriage is never is never a part of her personal plot line. It's never like romance, yes, but marriage is never a goal for her. And she says many times, actually, you know, like I'm not the marrying kind. I don't want to do that. And the other thing I love about her is that even though that's what her life is, she doesn't begrudge other people their choices. Like Dot, her companion, is like a devout Catholic and like very conservative. And like she wants her to be more her, like outgoing, but not at the expense of her, you know, beliefs. And I, I like that Franny supports her as long as she doesn't feel that Dot is like being harmed. Yeah, um, well... In support of most of her beliefs. Yeah. Dot does begin the show uh, afraid to answer a phone because her um, priest, I guess, has told her that someday all the electricity in the world will reach the molten core and, and <laughs> explode the planet. I love Dot. Which when I first heard that line of dialogue, I thought, okay, show's taking a new direction. <laughs> I guess that's end game. But I think like, you know, Dot definitely wants to get married and wants to have that life. And, and Franny doesn't begrudge her that she wants that for her because that's what Dot wants. And Dot does indeed become the uh, one half of the adorable sidekick romance oh so cute between herself and hugh who is basically jack's dot yeah <laughs> dot becomes a detective in her own right mm-hmm. as the show goes on like mm-hmm. she you know helps out on all well, the and that's adventures the other thing, and mysteries is like, she's you know she's very they the show doesn't begrudge her like just because she's not like franny she can still do the things that franny does and like that's also very empowering it's like you know just because she doesn't she's not this freewheeling high class thinker she starts the, the the show as a maid um she's still like able to learn and grow and and have a career for herself and and pursue that i think it's great yeah and she's not portrayed as like a stick in the mud right it's encouraging what's the best way to say this they're both portrayed in positive lights mm-hmm. and so they're both like encouraged to develop as characters mm-hmm. without saying that one mode of womanhood is superior to like the other. It's almost like women aren't tropes. They're actual people. Is that... <laughs> can that be right? I think it is. Can I get a fact check on that? <laughs> women are pe- people, you're saying? They're people. Boy, I mean, I guess you're right. Anyway. What a thought. There's just There's so many great women in this show that are just... Living their own life. Um, Most of all, I think we have to point out uh, Dr. McMillan. Dr. Mac. Uh, Dr. The... Mac is a lesbian. There is no denying there this. There is no denying this. <laughs> this it's is, canon. This is 100% canon. And she's amazing. We usually just sit in the podcast, but now I think is a good time to visit our recurring segment. Jason and Kelsey pitch Netflix things? Yeah. <laughs> 
So Doctor Mac. Doctor Mac, nineteen twenties medical procedural, lesbian love affairs as well. Here's 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 the here's the uh, here's it's the It's nineteen twenties Grey's Anatomy with lesbians. Hmm, that's a good one. Can I offer an alternative pick? Please do. It's like the Nick, but people will watch it. Yes. <laughs> Come on, baby. Twelve episodes. We can do twelve episodes. We can do twelve episodes. Hit us up, Netflix. Hit us up. Anyway, Dr. Max awesome. Dr. Max great. She's like Franny's best friend, and she is also middle-aged, or perhaps slightly older. Hasn't settled down. Not as freewheeling, but you know, she's she's a doctor and she's a woman, which in the 1920s was still pretty. Like there were there were a few more then, but still pretty revolutionary. And there's a lot of really interesting episodes with her about the care, the medical care of, of women. Um, which you kind of see in Cocaine Blues, but um, there's also uh, an episode about hysteria and the sort of like that whole thing, which is really interesting. One of my favorite episodes, Death by Misadventure, um, is about women who work in factories and like dangers of that and, and how they're mistreated and stuff. We should stop to point out that the title of the episode is Death by Misadventure. Miss <laughs> it's a pun. It's a pun. A lot of the episodes are pun titles that I didn't catch as puns when I first read through them. Mm-hmm. Like the episode Framed for Murder, which I watched. I is... picked that one because it's about movies. Yes. <laughs> it's about, uh, you picked very well for, for me. Yeah. I have, I have a fascination with, you know, old, old Hollywood. Old Hollywood or old, um, whatever they called the uh, Australian uh, cinema production capital back then. Mm-hmm. And and the title Framed for Murder is a, is a playoff of, you know, shot framing yeah in movies mm-hmm. and i kept waiting for boy when's someone gonna get framed when's someone gonna get a murder pinned on them that they didn't commit <laughs> which doesn't really happen in the episode no so uh just heads up uh check for puns check for before puns. you start an episode yeah for, or and adjust your, your expectations do you like accordingly. that episode of, of course i did yeah yeah <laughs> but it's a silent movie ja- jack and hugh played uh centurions so good it's hilarious <laughs> pivoting off of uh, our discussion of dr mac yeah the show addresses social issues from that time period mm-hmm. in a way I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like um, the first episode, just for example, the entire uh, plot turns on a back alley abortionist who is mm-hmm. performing abortions for women who you know have no other options to go to. And because they have no other options, things get kind of bad. Like it's a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And in that same episode, we have we, we meet um, Cess. And Bert. And Bert, to uh, sort of um, Miss Fisher's, like, good guy henchman, basically. Yeah, they're technically her drivers and, like, her, I would say, valets, maybe? They're drivers slash muscle. Yeah. Is, I think, is <laughs> I think the term for good guy henchman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but they're both communists. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And we also have a character in that first episode who was, whose family was removed from Russia, mm-hmm. I assume, when the Soviet Union was, was being formed and... That whole business was happening. Was it with the pogroms or was that a different episode that I'm thinking? That's the, this is the dancer. Oh, right. Because his family was uh, like aristocracy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sasha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm not super clear on Russian history, but I think that's basically what happened. I'm anyway. actually reading a book about the Russian Revolution right now. So. Oh, wow. Does this all line up? Is this is it good? Does it I check just out? started it. So. <laughs> okay. You know, there are other things they touch on like, like, Workers' rights. They touch on, like, a little bit, like, Chinese immigration and communism in China. Um, and the fact that communism in China wasn't as, like, developed 
there's an episode where one of Franny's lovers is in like an arranged marriage. He's he's Chinese, and, and in the books, he's like her main, her main squeeze. He's like the only lover she goes back to. Um, but his wife to be is a communist, and her parents like don't know about it, and they were kicked out of the country because they weren't communists or something. I don't remember quite specifically, but um, they do talk about workers' rights. There's an episode about um, like a, a strike that's happening, and there's someone murdered during the strike, and Franny has to go to a uh, the communist club with Sesenbert and uh, find, you know, things like that. I think I think it's a really interesting take on what was happening at the time and like a, a good use of things that people find intriguing. And it fits in very organically. Yeah, it doesn't feel forced. No, ever. and the writer, the the writer, uh, Evie Nagy, Evie Nagy. I'm sorry, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name, and I can't find a guide to it. But she was quoted in an article for the Guardian. Um, basically saying that that period shows like this show or Mad Men as well are a good way to introduce these sort of uh, political ideas because they're taking place in a time when you know things are you know considered to be a little bit more backwards on social issues. Yeah. So bringing them up doesn't feel quite so politically charged. Yeah. Because it's not things that are happening in the current day, so they can address them with some remove, which I think gives them a little bit more wiggle room to approach them in this particular way. Agree. I think that's a good point, which is why I wanted to credit her, and I. Totally mangled her name, so I apologize. Just, I mean, she's not going to hear it, but I apologize just to the concept of names, Sorry. really, and how bad I am at saying them. Sorry, but, you know, I think Sorry. with the stuff like about communism too, like Seth and Bert are never treated differently. I mean, when it's plot relevant, yes, but like are never treated like that. The show doesn't paint them as bad because they're communists, which a lot of our modern narratives would do. That's true. I mean, I would say they're not painted as good enough for being communists. But, you know, we can talk, we can sit here talking about social issues, things that define the way we live and, you know, have echoes into the present day. But when it, when you're talking about a period piece like this, it's all about one thing. I just want to talk about the clothes, you all. Costumes. They're so good. So I love, I love the costumes in this show so much. I think if I could wear clothes from any era, it would be the 20s. I, I can't wear clothes from the 20s because I'm not shaped correctly. Um, I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's a whole other body thing that we don't need to get into. I like my body. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the 20s in fashion is so interesting because it's kind of the first era when the female silhouette, like, started to change. And, you know, corsets went out the window and literally in some cases literally in some cases and and um you know the sort of like high-waisted skirts with bustles and stuff like were falling out of fashion because it didn't you didn't necessarily have to have this feminine shape this hourglass figure (laughs) and freedom of movement was more was more prioritized so you had women wearing shorter skirts where they could move their legs and pants 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 women wearing pants well, at least they don't have pockets, right? Probably not. <laughs> ah, boy. Um, and it's just like, it's a really interesting time in fashion. And there was a lot more access to luxury fabrics, you know, which you see a lot in, in Miss Fisher, like silks and velvets and beaded shit. Um, <laughs> but it was also like a really, a lot of technology was changing. You know, buttons were the main fastening mechanism um previous to the 20s like stuff was invented before that but you know you saw a wider spread use of 
of like hook and eye closures and zippers. Zippers. Zippers make everything easier. I mean, I just I think the costumes are fairly historically accurate. And I also really appreciate the way that the costumes complement the characters. Like Miss Fisher has this this rich life. She wears a lot of silks and a lot of colors, a lot of beads, a lot of velvets, always a hat. Whereas Dot is, you know, a more conservative person. Her her clothes are just as are are nice, but they like suit her personality more. You know, Jack is a straight man. He always wears the same three-piece suit and big, you know, trench coat and looks amazing. And I think I think the costume design is just so well done. And, oh, my God, and, like, Dr. McMillan's outfits, because she also always wears a three-piece suit, and it's amazing. <laughs> love a three-piece suit. Oh, So, yeah, I just love the clothes a lot, and I really like how they complement the characters without sacrificing too much historical accuracy. Which like I'm always I'm always down to you know make some adjustments for dramatic purposes, but some anachronisms. Yes. To sort of uh, Sophia Coppola it up. Sure, why not? Throw some sneakers on Mary Antoinette. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> but I just I love the costume. Is this when we got the zipper? Is this when the zipper came around? It wasn't when it was invented, but it was more widespread in the twenties. Really? Yeah. That's I guess that makes sense. In my mind, I guess zippers didn't exist until the nineteen seventies. But that doesn't make any sense. Clearly, I don't think about uh, clothes or costumes uh, all that much. But I can appreciate how great the ones in this show are. It often feels like whenever the camera cuts back to Miss Fisher, she's, yeah. she's wearing a new outfit. Yeah, it's amazing. In Frame for Murder, when she, you know, very minor spoilers, becomes the director of the movie, mm-hmm. which is a very also funny plot point that really just happens and yeah. doesn't have much bearing on anything, but it's still fun to see. There's like a full-on reveal shot of her director outfit, which is like, you know, the riding trousers yeah and like the the like tweed coat yeah the tweed coat and the hat and the, the ascot basically what you imagine like a 1920s cartoon director dressing in she's wearing it it looks amazing yeah the term zipper was coined in 1923 the first zipper was like the late 1800s but i think like the first modern zipper was like early early 20th century interesting when, when was the velcro fly invented I don't know. <laughs> More importantly, when was the song Velcro Fly by ZZ Top released? I don't know. Uh, in, in, in strong contention for the greatest song of all time, maybe? I haven't actually heard it. Oh, I know. We're doing after this episode's <laughs> over. I love the use of the historical period just in general. And I think it I, that's what I was talking about before, about it just adding a layer of, of intrigue, almost, of creativity to the procedural um, and I enjoy watching people solve mysteries in old times much more than I do in current times. What, what's great about period pieces for that reason is that, and this is not an issue in this one, because again, the characterization and the plotting are all excellent. Mm-hmm. But if there's every moment where you say lose interest in the story that's being told, you can remain focused on the thing in front of you by just looking at the costumes for a minute. Yeah. Just taking in how pretty everyone looks. <laughs> pretty, depending on the period, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, period pieces in like the 1700s or, or before, like in the new, the new World, yeah. North America, I don't fuck with it. Pilgrims, ugly. Ugly as shit. Ugly motherfuckers. Get out of Killed here. Killed a bunch of people. Yeah, okay, so the, the fashions sins of the pilgrims were not their greatest crimes against humanity no but it's gotta be up there definitely come on the stupid black hat with the buckle on it that's not where buckles go buckles don't go there you idiot you fool buckles you go fool. on shoes buckles go on shoes and belts and, and belts 
and maybe jackets. Maybe. If it's the 80s. Only if it's the 80s, Only though. if it's the 80s, Not though. if it's the 1680s. No, fuck that. <laughs> go, go back to Europe. We sort of touched on this a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. But do we want to talk about the queerness of the show? I would. <laughs> because I think that this show is one of those shows that's like, it's gay, but they never say it's gay. Which is annoying, but also true. <laughs> I was, you can attest to this, Mm-hmm. Uh, deeply disappointed that the first person we see Miss Fish having sex with is a man. Yeah. Indeed, we only see her having sex with men. Unfortunately. Which is, which is again, you know, uh, progressive and good in its own way. Yeah. But I sort of, from everything I heard about it from you, expected a little bit more overt bisexuality. Yeah. I firmly believe that Miss Fisher is bisexual, maybe with like a, a, a more lean towards men, but still bisexual. It doesn't matter what percentage of what you are. Still bisexual. That's true. Um, and it's, and that might be more like my wanting that to be true than it actually being true. Because in the book, she is exclusively heterosexual. Like she rebuffs advances from women. But I just I can't see the Franny that I know from this show. Like if there was a woman that she wanted, she would she would go there. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you can, I cannot imagine this Franny Fisher as played portrayed by Essie Davis. As, as straight. As straight, yeah. Right? Or like rebuffing an advance from a woman. Right. Can you even picture I can't well, even picture in, it. Because in Cocaine Blues, in the book, Sasha has a sister. Who he has a sister in the in the show too, but she's dead. But she's dead. But in the, in, the, in the book, she's there and she makes advances on Phryne. And Phryne rebuffs them. But like, they had a totally killer to, you know, not have Essie Davis. <laughs> like, I just feel like Essie Davis thinks this character is bisexual. And so I feel that she is. I agree. Anyway. Um, also, other queer things. Dr. Mack is a lesbian. It's undeniable. It's canon. She has relationships. It's great. Uh, I, I did not watch the episode Murder in the Dark, but Franny's yeah. cousin, you've told me. Franny's cousin is in what I would call like either a bi slash pan polyamorous relationship. Um, it's kind of played as like eccentricity, but they're having their, it's uh, the, the setup for the episode is that these two characters, her cousin and his fiance are having an engagement party, which basically is just like, we're having this giant costume party and whoever wins this big scavenger hunt we set up, we set up gets to sleep with us. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it's like sort of an open marriage, but like part of the plot is that they seduce this, this woman who was killed <laughs> um, <laughs> together. And it's just like, they're so free about it. They're just like, yeah, of course we did. Come on, look at us. <laughs> um, and it's played as them being eccentric, but you know, they're, they're both bisexual polyamorous people and it's amazing. And like Franny just is like, okay, sure. That's him. Like it is kind of played for laughs, obviously, but it wasn't, it was more to demonstrate that they are like sex fiends than anything else. <laughs> right. But, um, but it's also like their relationship is demonstrated as to be a very loving, happy relationship and they're happy to get married and they're excited about it and they're still going to do this after they're married, like, <laughs> which I really appreciated. Yeah, um, that's a thing. And that, that here's where we're coming around to where we're lapping all of the other creative media. Yeah. Because not only do we have women, uh, you know, at the front center of the entire story and behind the scenes, but we've come back around to where we now also have, uh, you know, a polyamorous relationship depicted in a positive light, which is a thing that, 
you know, even the most positive depiction of that in media, which I can think of, which is Sense8, yeah. still has never, like, officially named that is what it is. Yeah, I mean... it's totally what it is. I mean, they don't name this. I named it, no. but... But you they know, don't say you know. they're polyamorous, you know. but like the whole thing is that they sleep you... with lots of people and their relationship is still very happy. I need to rewatch the episode, but like it, I was just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. <laughs> Kelsey. Yes. I have a couple questions for you. Let's do it. First of all, um, I don't know if you're dumb like me. I mean, but when you... we have the same brain, Jason. I'm <laughs> dumb true. like you. Okay. So I will just, well, for the sake of the listener, I, we will <laughs> verbalize this with our shared brain. Uh, when you watch mysteries like this, do you try to figure out like the case as you go? I do usually. You know, sometimes I get distracted by the carefully crafted story that I just don't until it's already there. Usually, I'm like I pick out one person in the first half of the episode, and I'm like, I think that person did it. I'm usually wrong. Sometimes I'm right, but I don't know why. Are you are you doing it based on anything, or you just at that point pick someone at random and go? I'm 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 putting it all on. I them. mean, usually it's like a character who's like being highlighted. You know, a non-principal character who's been highlighted for some reason, and there's usually many of those. So I'm just like, okay, is it? Mm. <laughs> because I do not. I cannot. My part of my problem is with this show. If I. There's so many names. You're bad at names. As we've pointed out this ep- this very episode, uh, you know, so this is good for continuity. I'm bad with names. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, these two characters are introduced and they walk off screen. And all of a sudden, we're talking about, you know, Miss Christopher and Miss Johnson and Mr. David and mm-hmm. Ms. And I'm like, who? Wait, which one was that? Who can was I? That? Can I just see a flashback? Just show me a flashback, please. <laughs> just bring him on on screen again. Just point at him for a minute. <laughs> so I I'm very easily confused by narratives like this. So I enjoy the moment when everything is revealed and mm-hmm. I can go, aha, aha, I knew it all along. Aha. I would if I wasn't stupid. What is your favorite episode of Miss Fisher's murder mysteries? Um, My favorite episode is probably death by misadventure. I think it's, it's really, I like the, the story a lot. Dot gets to go on like her first undercover mission, which is fun. Um, Max in it. Uh, there's multiple gay storylines. Um, <laughs> Or, like, overlapping gay storylines. Um, it's about women who, who work in factories. I don't know why I like it. I just like it. Uh, but I also really love Games That Murder, which I rewatched the first time in a long time this week. Because it's, like, I always start at the beginning and sometimes I don't get that far. And it's at the end of the third season. Um, and I just forgot how much I liked that, that episode. I like that episode, too, because there's a lot of good jack franny uh uh you know developments there because yeah. you find out that franny is afraid of spiders and you find out she's afraid of spiders, which i find very relatable me too and jack just being like oh you do have a weakness <laughs> let me exploit it <laughs> i like that she like most people is afraid of spiders for no reason yeah we just are we just are they're scary they, they have a lot, too many legs and they move weird and spiders in australia are big that's true i like he, at one point jack points out like there's no poisonous spiders around here in victoria. in victoria yeah because in australia there's a bunch of huge, huge spiders. giant poisonous spiders well, it's the a, spiders from sydney it's a bad place don't go there don't, i'm going there actually no kelsey not for like two years i have time to build up my spider when are you going to australia my mom and i are going this is news to me we're going for my 30th and her 60th i just thought you wouldn't mention it to me i thought i told you i think i remember that i'm sorry 
Shame upon me. Well, as long as we're in this downer space, what's your least favorite episode <laughs> of the show? Or just like your least favorite thing about the show? I don't know what my least favorite episode is. I like them all a lot. They're all my children. The second episode, I think, is really just not as strong as the first, which I think is makes it not great. My least favorite thing about the show, it does it does lack racial diversity, which is a little bit upsetting. Like, there's a lot of, you know, one-episode characters who are of um, non-white races, but there's not, there's not any principal or reoccurring characters of non-white races, which I think would be helpful in really making this super woke <laughs> yeah <laughs> for lack of a better term it's yeah it's very progressive in so many ways yeah and you know it does, it does lack for recurring characters of color yeah. and that's you know a sort of an overarching criticism you can just if we don't mention that about a piece of media when we discuss it which we usually do yeah you probably just assume we were thinking it at some point yeah and like i think because it, it's so good at dealing with social issues i think there there's definitely potential for it to to like bring in a character like that but it just hasn't happened yeah um the same time though you wouldn't want them to you know step outside of their lane no and potentially bring no in a, definitely a character not of color and then fumble it no definitely nothing not. is worse than that i do have a couple of questions first of all did you like it i liked it quite a bit yeah as i said i found it engaging and charming and fun it's very and charming. very you know quietly powerful in a lot of like positive social ways that there's, there's, there's a lot to like there are you going to watch the rest of it i would definitely watch more of it i would have watched more episodes before we recorded but this all came together in a very short amount of time yes it did um so but it was it was not hard to find the time to watch those four i'll say that it happened very easily good i'm as, glad as soon as i watched one i was very Relieved it was good. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I view this as redemption of sorts for our first episode. Yeah, fair. Which is also a, you know, not an Australian show, but a British show. Yeah. But another period drama, mm -hmm. which is, you know, all the things I praise about this show uh, were completely missing. Yeah. Not just the, you know, the, the progressive stuff and the, the, the elements I find socially noteworthy. The women? But also, but also the, the, the plotting and the characterization, <laughs> which Peaky Blinders has basically none. Mm. So the Tommy, he sure likes... Um, it's so pretty though. He likes. Oh, what? I can't tell you a thing about the main character. Of <laughs> I don't know what he wants. I'm sorry. It's okay. As I said, you've been absolved. Thank you. I release you. Thank you, Kelsey. I just like this show so much, but I know as soon as I start it, I'm gonna be done so quick. I wish there was more. Why can't there be more Miss Fisher coming soon in some form? Maybe even a new medium. Jason. I have some great news for you. What's that? There's going to be a Miss Fisher movie. What? Maybe more than one. What? Definitely one, though. So, um... Because they are they are Veronica Marsing it. They're Veronica Marsing it, yeah. They are crowdfunding a uh, filmed sequel to be shown like in movie theaters as a, as a movie. I believe so, yes. Potentially the first of a planned trilogy. And you can find that... Uh, that that crowdfunding website pretty easily if you if you feel, if you feel called to give money to the cause mm -hmm. they did reach their funding goal very quickly i believe in the first day yeah so fans of the show are quite intense and fans of the show are, that's the other thing is like fans of they the showrunners chose to do to adapt these books because fans of the miss fisher books were so widespread demographically mm. like you know 18-year-olds and 70-year-olds liked <laughs> them. And and that was, like, what was really appealing to them. 
And so I think it, the same is true for the show, that it, it, it appeals across demographics. And that's really interesting and would probably why they were able to crowdfund it so easily. Hey, uh, second annual Miss Fisher Con. This Miss summer, Fisher Con. There's this a Miss Fisher Con. Fisher Con. Fisher Con. Let's go. I bet the cosplay there is amazing. Let's go. Crowdfund us to take a trip to Portland for Fisher Con. We'll go. Yeah, give us money to do it. <laughs> we, won't, we won't do a podcast about it or anything. We just want to go. Oh, we'll do a podcast about it. We'll definitely do a podcast Give us about the money. It. Anyway, so yeah, there's going to be some movies, which is, or at least one movie. There, um, there also, as I understand it, are some preliminary talks of a prequel series set in Miss Fisher's younger days. Interesting. Which is interesting. Doesn't really strike me as a thing I really care to see, to be totally mm. honest. I'm I'm very attached, to, you know, after the four episodes I've watched, yeah. to this version of the character as portrayed by yeah. this actor with these other people around her. They'd have to really get the right actress. It'd have to. I just don't. And I don't know what it would be about. As Although she did like travel the world for a while, so that could be a fun, interesting. As That's saying, where she, she met Mac on like some remote island somewhere when she was there doing medical stuff. I don't know. I yeah, I mean that could be fun, but I I want more of this. Give me this. They can do the prequel series as long as it's gay. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, the that, o- that's, that's the only way they're allowed to do it. It has to be It has to be gay. That's the deal. That's the deal, every <laughs> Cloud Productions. You got to make it gay. Got to make it gay. Or the show won't play. Gay or it won't play. Uh, well, Kelsey, thank you for showing this to me. You're welcome. And making me watch it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad I have a, a place to turn now for, for women-centric mysteries. Yeah. At least like 30 more of them. Yeah. And then on to the future. To the future. Forever and ever. Forever and ever and ever. As long as they, you know, can move production from Australia to, to Britain. Because Essie Davis abandoned her home country to move to the UK. Essie, what are you doing? Well, she did get a role in Game of Thrones. Yeah, season six. Oh. You can't do the Babadook in, in UK, Essie. That's Australia, baby. It's Australia. It's all Australia. It's all about the outback. I, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Mm-hmm. Essie, Essie uh, you know, get your money. Get your money. You, you do you. She's Live. about to play. She just got another big role somewhere on the BBC. On the BBC. On the... A BBC miniseries. And that ain't the Australian Broadcasting Company. That's the British, the British Broadcasting one. Company. I'm getting too worked up. Let's end the show. Sounds good. <laughs> Special thanks to Dania Bout of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, off of their album, The Weeping Willards, available for download now. On Bandcamp. On Bandcamp. Uh, special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Please do Smash it. Smash that leave, like button. Leave us a review. I mean, sorry, rate, rate and review. You can't You can't like a podcast. I guess you can. Well, rate rate and subscribe. Well, we do want you to subscribe. <laughs> we're, on, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Also, hey, Kelsey. Yeah? Do you remember the episode we did a few months back about American Ninja Warrior with our friend Andrew Favaloro? Yeah, Fav Money. Do you remember how we jokingly pitched a spinoff of this podcast where Andrew attempted to become a Ninja Warrior called Andrew Ninja Warrior? I do recall that, yes. Well, what if I told you that someone maybe through magic, magic. By, by something upon a genie, was granted a wish to make that podcast real? 
that would be really exciting. I don't know. The genie thing more than the podcast. Okay, what but... if I told you the podcast was real, but the genie thing was not real? That's very exciting. Are you still, still. excited? Okay. I'm still excited. Because it's it's real. Andrew Favaloro and, and a close friend, I would say, of the podcast. At this point, she's a close friend. Executive producer. Executive producer, Sarah <laughs> Shepard, are starting a podcast about Andrew's attempt to become a ninja warrior. And Sarah's attempt to do a pull-up. Yes. It's very exciting. It's going to come out Monday the 8th. Mm-hmm. We will release it in this feed mm-hmm. so that, you know, if you follow us on podcast catcher of your choice, yeah, whatever, insert there, uh, it'll, it'll pop up for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it'll be on its own feed, of course, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that. And check it out if you like things that are good. Things that are good. Talking about Ninja Warrior, listening to people who... You wouldn't normally expect to be Ninja Warriors. Try a Ninja Warrior. It's it's very exciting. I think it's going to be a very good podcast. I think it's going to be fun. I think Andrew and Sarah are much more organized than us. <laughs> and they will probably have it like how we have it now from like the get-go. <laughs> Listen, I've seen their notes. This is what we have here is nothing are, compared to that. Oh, they're better? They have multiple spreadsheets. Well, it's Andrew. Of course, they have spreadsheets. We have one spreadsheet. We do have... We have we have one spreadsheet with multiple sheets. Well, okay, there you go. We have three spreadsheets, Andrew. Anyway, that's all. That's all. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me It's nice to have two arms on this. I know, I, I didn't even know Sarah fixed it until last night. Great. It's a whole new chair. <laughs> a whole new, new chair. chair. A brand new chair. I never knew. Anyway. Hey, Jason. Hey, Kelsey. <laughs> okay.